you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I always encourage people, bring your Bibles to church with you. Uh, if you can, open up to Ephesians chapter 5. If not, we'll have it up here today. But please stand. Today we're going to read Ephesians 5, uh, verses 8 through 14. Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. Hear the holy word of the Lord. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is a holy word of the Lord given to you. May you have ears to receive it today. Please have a seat. You would have to imagine that the concept of living in darkness was not an abstract thought to the Apostle Paul. Remember that the Apostle Paul used to be fiercely against the church of Christ. He used to breathe out murderous threats against anyone who dared follow this Jesus Christ. He was so committed, he dedicated his life to hunting down Christians and throwing them into jail. He delighted when they were even killed. And so it was on the road to Damascus that Paul, on his way to find out more where the, more of those Christians were, that Christ came to him in a vision. And he called, called to him in a vision. And during that encounter with the risen Christ, Paul was stricken blind. And he, he ha- found himself having to be led to Damascus. And for three days, Paul had to live without vision. Three days, he had inescapable darkness covering everything in his life. It said, the Bible tells us he didn't eat or drink during those days. And I always kind of imagine, what was Paul thinking? Because certainly, he had nothing but to do but think. What would you do if suddenly, today, you were cast into blindness? If today you went home and suddenly you just couldn't see for the next three days? You had no idea when it would end, by the way. He had no idea. What thoughts would you be thinking? How does this change my life? How can I even live like this? What am I going to do? I'm going to be relying on the charity of others. And Paul had those three days to really come to a heart-to-heart with God. His, His arrogance was brought down to a level of humility. And after those three days, God sent a man, a Christian man named Ananias, to Paul, laid hands on him, and Paul's vision was restored. The Bible tells us it was like scales falling off his eyes, that restoration process. So I can't imagine that if you had three days where you were stricken blind and then God restored your sight, that wouldn't be a thing that would stick with you for the rest of your life, right? Absolutely. So when Paul ever talks, as he does here in Ephesians, about light and dark, these aren't abstract thoughts for him. This is his reality that he knows very much what it used to be to live in darkness. 
and not just physically, but spiritually. That he lived in the darkness, but was brought into the light. And so he talks about this not as abstract, but into a reality that he experienced. And he says, I have no desire to ever go back into that blindness again. I don't ever want to be physically blind, but I definitely don't want to be spiritually blind. Paul started this chapter last week. We looked at how he started chapter 5, talking about how the dark living of the world, how people are blind and living in that blindness, they brought that into the church. That the church had a lot of people who were still living in the dark. They were still living in their sin. And so he gave them a wake-up call, and that's what we talked about in our last session together. But here today, he goes on and he encourages the church to experience light living, to live in the light as the light. It's a very nice metaphor, but what does that mean for us? What does that mean practically? I want to explore that today. So, have you ever been outside on a clear night where the full moon is shining? It's one of those rare nights. No, no clouds in the sky, absolutely full, brilliant moon. It's really astounding how much light the moon can shine down on the world, isn't it? It's light enough you can go on walks at night on a full, full, clear moonlight night. You can even read outside if you're one of those weirdos that wants to read outside by moonlight. But it is possible. There's that much light that comes down from a full moon. I would rather stay in bed, but you do you, I'll do me. What's amazing about the moon is that it has no intrinsic light of its own. The moon is basically a giant mirror that's reflecting the light of the sun onto us. Now, I've often heard that Christian saying, you probably have heard it too, be the moon, reflect the sun, S-O-N, right? That's clever, that's memorable. But it's not what Paul says here. I find Paul really breaks with this metaphor here in Ephesians 5. He doesn't say that we reflect the light. He doesn't say we live in the light. What does it say right here? He says, we are the light. That kind of made me really pause when I read that. And I said, wow, that is a different ball game altogether. We are the light. Look at verse 8 again with me. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. This is a very important uh, concept to grasp. I'm not just arguing semantics here. I'm not just saying, well, you know, let's, let's argue the little word changes. We might have been in the darkness, but brothers and sisters, we were darkness. When we lived in sin, we were sin. And when we were brought into the light, we were converted to become light. This is Paul saying this is very personal. You didn't just dwell among darkness. You were darkness. And once you are in the light, you are light. Paul is helping us here grasp that light living is at the core of our identity. It's who you are. You are not the same person after your conversion as you were before. You have changed in a very fundamental, key way. And that's what Paul's driving home here. And so as such, it's important for us to understand our identity before we act in our identity, if that makes sense. Being light drives everything 
we do as Christians. Everything. And Paul's not, he's not bringing a new concept to us here. He's not rewriting the Bible. Whenever the Bible talks about our identity, it's always in two ways. First, our identity is as adopted sons and daughters of the living, risen, holy God. We are his sons and daughters. And the second identity is that we are light in Christ. The entire New Testament talks about this. So Paul's really just kind of consolidating here, driving it home. And he says, light rejects the things of darkness. Light has nothing to do with the purposes of darkness. You can't have dark living and light living at the same time. Light doesn't want to cover up. It wants to reveal. Light doesn't want to to hide and obscure things. It wants to guide us. Light isn't focused inward. It is focused outward. It shines. So if we are light, this is who we are in our new identity. Light living shares and partakes in the divine presence of Jesus Christ every day. He shines. That's what the Revelation tells us about Jesus. When we go to to heaven, there is no sun because Jesus Christ is all the light we'll ever need. He is light. And when we are in Jesus, we are light too. But we are still becoming that. We are still in the transformative phase of becoming light. We are still, God is working within us to make us better, to to purify us of our sins as we talked about last week. But in the next life, we look forward to this full transformation when we become pure light, the glory that is shining for us is beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension. Light living means that you need to start seeing yourself. I'm sorry, I wrote this here, I have to say it. You have to start seeing yourself in a whole new light. But you do. You have to understand this is your core of your identity, that you are no longer darkness, you are light. It's who you are, it's who God made you to be. God is making you more like Him, more like light every single day. Now Paul follows up this revelation of our identity by going on with instructions on how to live in that identity. He says, live as children of the light and find out what pleases the Lord. Live as children of the light and find out what pleases the Lord, what pleases Him. One of the absolute best ways that you can live as light is to ask yourself, how can I please God? In this situation that I'm in right now, how can I best please my King? That's it. That's a simple question. But it radically changes every possible aspect of your life. Every way that you live is changed by asking yourself, how can I please God right now in my situation? Have you seen the movie Chariots of Fire? It's a great movie. It's about these Olympic runners way back in the the day. It's based on a true story. And one of the, the runners was a man named Eric Lytle. And Eric Lytle is a Christian The best friend is Jewish, and they run for different reasons. But for Eric, he was running to please God. And he has this great quote in the movie. He says, God made me fast, and when I rush, I feel his pleasure. When Eric fulfilled the purpose he was created to do, he felt God's pleasure. He lived for God's pleasure. He was excited to live for God. 
And that is how we should live. When we genuinely love somebody, you want to please that person, don't you? You don't live selfishly, you live selflessly. You want to please those you love because there is a special delight in seeing somebody bring happiness and joy to somebody else through your actions and through your words. So you give them compliments and you do nice things for them and you live selflessly. It's like when you get older and Christmas comes around and you hear this from adults and especially grandparents, they go, it's not so much about getting the gifts anymore, is it? It's about giving the gifts because you delight in seeing the happiness that your selfless giving generates. There's a delight that comes in pleasing those you love. Whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, whether it's your church family. We can live to bring delight to others. And isn't that right there, the light-living kind of relationship we should have with God? If we love God, shouldn't we live to delight Him? I dearly love my wife, so every day, there's always a running thought going through my head. How can I show my love to her? How can I delight her? Well, sometimes that's a grand gesture of flowers. Sometimes it's babysitting the kids when she just needs a moment of peace and quiet. Sometimes it's a kind word. But occasionally, joy will come to me because she knows I'm a thick-headed man. I don't always get the point, right? So she'll come to me and she'll say, Honey, listen to me. If you want to delight me right now in this situation, here's what you need to do. And if I'm especially thick-headed, she will write it down in a letter. <laughs> Give it to me, honey. These are five things you can do for me if you want to please me, if you want to delight me. And, and I might roll my eyes and I might feel like, but I'm secretly kind of delighted because I want, I, it's so much easier when somebody just tells you, this is how you can delight me. It's how you can make me happy. Here you go. Here's a list. Kids, don't do that to me. You don't get to make a list. I already know what delights Because I know what's going through their head. When they go home, they're going to start writing a list. Dad, here's how you can make me happy. But God is like that. He's like my wife because he's already written me a letter to tell me exactly how I can delight him. He's written you that same letter. It's the Bible. In those pages are lists of things you can do to bring delight to your Lord, to bring joy to His heart, to make Him smile, to make Him look down on you and go, you go, that's great. I ever, that makes me so happy when you do that. Every page of the Bible should be studied with the, the anticipation, with that question in mind, what can I learn to bring delight to my Lord today? What can I take out of this verse to bring a smile to my God, to my King, to make Him proud of me instead of ashamed? What can I do? Find out and then do it. Even if it's just one thing every day, do something that you know delights God. Don't do it for yourself. Don't do it to impress other people. Don't call me up afterwards and say, Pastor Justin, guess what I just did to delight God? Just do it. Just do it to delight God because you love Him. Now, I might have talked about this before, but the absolute worst thing to have when you're a little kid late at night is an overactive imagination. It's great during the day. You're a Calvin, you know, Calvin and Hobbes, he always had that wonderful imagination during the day. And yet, when you're a kid and you have that imagination, the world is just 
the best. Your adventure is around every corner. Any object can be in your mind turned into something grand, something amazing. But at night, man, that imagination just works right against you. The second those light, the light goes off and you've got that tiny little night light that's supposed to hold back the dark, you look around the room and any shadow, any shadow could be a hiding monster, right? And you, your imagination starts going, did it just twitch? That moved. I know that just moved. That has claws. I heard it drooling. It's coming for me next. Dad! Dad! And Dad comes into the room and he flicks on the light. And you breathe a little easier because you see what you thought was a monster was just a pile of your toys that you didn't put away. And you go, oh, whew, you know, Dad, can I sleep with you tonight? No, son. Click. You know, he turns off the light. The light in that situation exposes and reveals the truth. It makes us breathe easier. You see, there's absolutely no living in either the darkness or the light at the same time. It's always one or the other. The light switch is either on or off. And when it's off, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Now, the dark will often promise us these delicious delights. Let's say, come live in the darkness. I will make you happy. There's nothing but that you can serve your own needs here. You'll be happy. You can live. live. Just do it. Just live according to yourself. But in truth, the dark delivers nothing but death. Think of it this way. Next summer, conduct a little experiment in your house. I give you permission to do this. Go outside, take a tarp, lay it down on your lawn. Put some bricks on it, and then walk away for a week. Then come back and take that tarp right up and see what has happened when darkness has covered a patch of your lawn. You will now be the envy of your neighborhood as you have a giant brown square of dead grass, right? I've done this. I've like laid something out. Take it away. It's amazing how quickly things die without light. Nothing thrives in the darkness. Disease, maybe. That's about it. That's why in the middle of winter right now, we're all really grumpy. We haven't had sunshine in a while. We haven't had the warmth of being outside And because of that, we don't get that vitamin D we so dearly need. And disease starts to creep in. And we, this past week I was sick. And I know a lot of you are sick. We all have that. And disease comes in and depression settles into our bones. But light, on the other hand, promotes life. Things flourish in the light. Things grow to their full potential in the light. We feel better when we're outside. We can't wait for the spring. The second that happens, everybody in Buffalo is going to be out on paths and they're going to be in parks and it's going to be crazy because we're just going to want to get out into that sunshine. And that's how it is with God. Darkness kills, light lives. Paul says that light living means that we should have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of the darkness. He says nothing good comes out of that, no matter what it tells you. But that seems easier said than done, Paul. I mean, after all, darkness is all around us every day. You can't take two steps until you encounter some sort of sin in the world, some sort of temptation that hits you. And over and over again, and sooner or later, you just go, I should just give up. I should just give in. We're told that evil 
is good. We're told that we're evil if we follow Christ, that we're intolerant, we're small-minded. You guys, don't do that. Just come back to us over here. We're tempted internally. We're tempted externally. We're navigating all of this, and when you live as life, it's really hard to walk in a dark world. We don't know what we should be doing. The dark world tells Christianity. So it's just, you need, right now, you guys need to simmer down. You need to dim that light. You need to accept all these sins and be very tolerant of every type of sin in the world. Don't be judgmental, you Christians. Don't live brilliantly. Live, keep that light as dim as possible. By the way, maybe if, even if you have a bushel, if you could just you know, bushel that light, you know, just put it under there. That's what the dark world wants. But here's the thing. If you're light, darkness is no longer your boss. You don't have to do what it says. You can live according to something better. Light living follows the source of all light instead. It listens to the Bible as the supreme authority. That is what guides our life. We don't have to listen to popular trends. Navigating through a dark world, it's hard, and it requires a lot of discernment, of wisdom, courage, and gentleness. We don't have to barrel through it like a bear trying to bat down. Everybody dares oppose us. Everybody dares sin. There's, there's a way to do it that's very graceful and very strong. But it takes a seasoned, mature Christian to do it. If you are light in your, or if you are very shallow in your faith, darkness is going to batter you and it's going to drag you right back down. But if you are mature in your faith, you have studied the Word, you are daily in prayer with your Lord, you live according to the Lord you will be able to follow God and follow that path, the right path through your life. We are to engage with the world to bring them the gospel. We are to engage with the world to bring them the love and message of Jesus Christ. But we are not, as Paul says here, to become partners with the world. Now that's a balance there. We can't wall ourselves off. We can't say, well, I'm a Christian. I will no longer talk to any of my atheist friends, any of my Muslim friends, any of my next door neighbors. I'm just going to wall myself. I'm going to join a convent. I'm going to join a monastery, right? That's that line of thinking. Walling yourself off, that's not what God tells us. He says, go. Go and share the gospel. But as you're going and sharing, don't let them tempt you into relapsing into the dark, into falling back into your old ways of living. You see that why that takes discernment? It takes a special sort of maturity to do that. Children of light need the Bible to tell them who they are, what they can do to please Jesus Christ, and how they can avoid falling back into the dark. That's light living. Paul ends this particular passage with actually a little bit of a hymn. This is a baptismal hymn. The early church would use this verse whenever somebody become baptized. And he says here, this is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You see that baptism, uh, the metaphor there, rising from the dead, rising out of the water, and Christ will shine on you. Paul took verses here from Isaiah and from Jonah, and he puts them together, and he makes this beautiful little song so that you can remember, I used to be dead. I used to be in the darkness. I used to be in the grave. And God reached down and He pulled me up into the light. And I don't ever want to go back down there ever again. 
I want to live where Christ is shining on me, shining in me, and shining through me. I want to live as light. And that is my encouragement for you this week. Live as light. It's a tall order, but it is a great way to live your life. Don't live according to the world. Live according to the light that is in you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I don't think there's enough words how much we could pray to praise you for transforming us into something so incredible that we could become the light of Christ. I pray that we would shine strongly, we shine brilliantly to the world. As we go out this week, as we shine our physical lights, may we also be shining in our hearts, shining in our prayers, shining in the words we say, the actions we do, how we treat other people, how we handle hard situations, how we handle it when we're confronted with sin, Lord, in our life, that we may look to you and we may say, Lord, how can I please you in this situation? Lord, we want to please you. We want to make you happy. I pray that we would please you as a church, as people, as your light in this world, and that you may work through us to bring others to know you. In your name, amen.